Welcome to City Church. On that note, uh, thank you, Jimmy. What an appropriate offering talk for our series. We are talking about being outlasters, about this idea that, that there is a way that we can live, that even when we are no longer here, even when we are dead in God, that something would outlast us, that we could leave a mark on the next generation. And uh, I'm so excited about this series. I'm so excited about what God is doing. And I, and I hate that so often there are people who, who, when they leave, there's not much that's left behind. And so my heart, my prayer for us, for City Church, is that we would be outlasters, that that would not be true of us, that we could truly live in such a way that, that our life, our values, our love, our beliefs would be left behind for the next generation. So two weeks ago, as we kicked off this series, we talked about the problem of the first generation. The problem of the first generation, we talked about how they're, excuse me, the third generation. We talked about how difficult it is in, in any active life, whether it be business, whether it be values, whether it be faith, how difficult it is for anything to last from the first generation through the second generation and to the third. In fact, Harvard Business Review found that only 10% of family businesses survive the third generation, and we see that apply spiritually as well. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to get a hold of a faith that lasts. We're trying to grab a hold of a faith in our life that we can pass on to the next generation that will outlast us. So our key passage is in Psalm chapter 112, and we're reading from the New Living Translation. It starts out in verse 1. It says, How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. What an awesome statement. What a great prayer for your child. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy, and their good deeds will last how long? Their good deeds will last how long? Their good deeds would last forever. What a statement that we could live in such a way that our good deeds last not just to the next generation, but they actually make an impact on eternity, that they actually last forever. What an awesome prayer. It says they are generous, compassionate, and righteous. What great characteristics to be attributed to someone that we would be generous, we would be compassionate, we would be righteous, that our kids would be generous compassionate and righteous. God, let that be the case. Then it wraps up in the second half of verse six. It says, those who are righteous will be long remembered. They'll be outlasters. I don't know about you, but every time I come back to this passage, it grabs my heart. I'm like, God, I want that to be true of me. God, I want to be a part of something like that. God, I want our church, our people to be a part of something like that, that we could be long remembered. And so when, when we look at culture and we look at the things out in, in society and how they approach raising kids, and this series isn't just about raising kids. We believe that all of us are leaders and all of us are called to make an impact on the next generation. But, but culture says that, that if you're successful raising kids, I think these are, are three main characteristics that culture would, would aspire to, is that successful parenting is raising kids who are well-rounded, well-educated, and happy. That we want our kids to be well-rounded, well-educated, and happy. And what, what's ironic about that is uh, I know for employers that I've worked for, they don't look for people who are well-rounded. They look for people who excel in a specific area. Culture 
businesses, places of employment, they're not looking for somebody who can do a lot of things okay. They're looking for somebody who can do one or two things exceptionally well. Now, I think well-educated is a great thing for us to shoot for. I want my children to be well-educated. That is certainly a prayer that I have for them. But, but as we discovered in week one, happiness, when happiness is the goal, is fleeting. We grab at it and we miss it. It's hard to pursue happiness and find success. When we pursue happiness, ultimately, we eventually find emptiness. But when we pursue the things of God, when we pursue the things he has for us, when we pursue holiness, as he says, be holy as I am holy, not be happy as I am happy. When we pursue that holiness, we discover that happiness is actually a byproduct of it. So we don't want to just raise well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. We want to do something more. We believe that we have different goals as followers of Jesus. In fact, Matthew 16, 26 says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul. If you hit every one of those characteristics, if your kids were well-rounded and well-educated and even happy by the world's standards, but they don't know Jesus, we failed. We missed it. We haven't passed on something for them of great significance. So our goals should be different as Christ followers. Here's what I believe, whether you're a parent or not, here's what I believe that our goal should be for those of the next generation who we encounter. I believe that we are called to unleash Christ-centered, biblically anchored world changers. Christ-centered, biblically anchored world changers. We're not just trying to raise up good kids. We're not just trying to raise up happy kids. We're not just trying to raise kids who don't pull each other's hair and don't poop in the bathtub like my son did last night. Like that's not the limit of our goals, right? We're trying, we're shooting for something higher. We are aiming to raise Christ-centered, biblically grounded, and, excuse me, biblically anchored world changers. That's what I want for my kids. That's what I want to see for the next generation. I believe that is God's call for us as Christ followers to pass that on to the next generation. And some of you are like, well, dude, I'm just trying to keep the lights on and get my kid to school, right? Like, I'm just trying to keep them from killing each other so that they can go off and get out of the house. Like, I'm just trying to make it. And, and if that's you, I completely understand. I get it. Uh, it's a lot of work. Or it sounds like a lot of work to do these things, to raise Christ-centered, biblically anchored world changers. But I do believe it's possible, and I believe that it's something we need to shoot for. What, what's funny about this series is that I've noticed that some people uh, who, who don't have kids are more excited about this series than some people who do. Uh, I've run into a couple young adults who are like, man, I love this series. I'm going to be an outlaster. We're passing something on. And it's like, so when are you having kids? Not for a long time. Like, <laughs> no, that's not me, not right now. And, and for some of them, I'm like, praise God, you don't need to have kids right now. But I'm glad you're grabbing hold of this. And, and then you run into people who have older kids, and you talk about the series, and, and they're almost discouraged, like, we missed it. We, we don't have Christ-centered, biblically anchored world changers. We, we blew it. And if that's you today, we are not here to discourage you. We are not here to, to say that you're a failure. We're here to say that there's hope that we can turn this ship around, that God still has a purpose for you in the life of your child, even if your child's grown, even if your child's out of the house, even if your child's not talking to you. But then you run into some people who have younger kids, and they're like, I just need a nap. 
right? Like, like I just need some rest. I can't think about making a world changer. I just want somebody to change their diaper. Like, that'll be the, the greatest thing that somebody could do for me today. And if that's you, I feel you. We have two kids under two years old. Uh, and, and when you have two kids under two years old, if you want to do something on Thursday afternoon, you have to start packing Tuesday night. Uh, there's so much stuff that goes into to carrying two babies. And, and the great thing is my wife does the majority of the work. I'm very blessed. Melody, you're awesome. Thank you. Uh, I couldn't do it without you. Uh, I keep the kids on Mondays for about six hours while she works. And I'm thrilled when she's home because uh, she is a- incredible with the kids. And I love my kids. I love my babies. But I'm, I'm amazed at how much she does for Judah and Alexa. Um, so how do we do this? How do we unleash Christ-centered, biblically anchored world changers? Well, you know this as well as I do. We cannot force our kids to love Jesus. You can't sit down and say, you're going to love Jesus because that's the rules in this house, right? Like, you cannot manufacture love. You can force them to do certain things and to not do certain things, but you cannot manufacture for them an actual relationship with Jesus. But what we can do, and what I'm going to try to do today is make this as simple and clear as possible, is we can manage exposure. We can manage exposure. We can manage the things that we expose the next generation to and be very intentional about the things we expose them to because we believe that what we expose them to determines what they become. If you love basketball and and you start taking your kids to Grizzlies games, they're more likely to become Grizzlies fans. It was a good week for the Grizzlies, by the way. We we signed some people, exceeded some expectations, gave a lot of money away. Uh, Hopefully Mike Conley is uh, is a tither somewhere because that's some money coming into the kingdom of God. If not, we need to pray that he meets Jesus uh, because he he got paid, right? Uh, But chances are if you expose your kids to that, more than likely – they're going to become basketball fans. Not for sure, but more than likely. It's why my son watched his first Seahawks game when he was four days old. I uh, didn't take any chances. I'm exposing him immediately. Grandpa and daddy and son all watched the Seahawks together when he was four days old. I think it made a great impression on him. All right, probably not. But I'm not taking any chances. I'm going to expose him as early and as frequently as possible, if you expose your kids uh, to fashion, they're more likely to be into fashion. If you expose them to cooking, they're more likely to be into cooking, right? We know this. The things that we expose our children to don't guarantee but increase the likelihood that they're going to be in to those sorts of things. What we expose them to many times will determine what they become. That's why Proverbs thirteen twenty says, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. If you expose your kids to good friends, they're probably going to grow up and be wise people. But if you expose your kids and allow them to hang out with whoever, whenever, wherever, chances are they may grow up and be a fool. Here's what we have to acknowledge. Your kids and my kids, the, the kids of the next generation, whether you have kids or not, are likely going to be exposed to a whole lot of negative things. It's just the way that it is. Kids are going to be exposed to a whole lot of junk in this world. They're going to be exposed to some bad attitudes. 
They're going to be exposed to, to disrespectful people. I remember growing up, my, my dad did not tolerate us talking back to mom. Like, it was just a thing. We knew you did not talk bad to mom's face. Now, we might talk bad behind mom's back, but we did not talk bad to mom's face because if dad heard it, we were going to get spanked. Uh, and I remember going over to my friend's house, Randy, and I was probably like six or seven years old. I was pretty young. And went over to his house, and his mom's name was Chris. Uh, and we were hanging out, and she said something, and he, like, fired back at her. And I was in awe. So like, you can talk to your mom like that. Like, I was shocked. And, and at first I was impressed and a little bit jealous. Uh, and after about four hours of it, I was disgusted. It's like, dude, that's your mom. How can you talk to her like that? I was six or seven years old. Why? Because I'd been exposed to a culture where we're going to honor mom. We're going to respect mom. We're going to treat her in a certain way. The things that we expose our kids to are going to impact who they become. Not only are kids going to be exposed to a lot of bad attitudes, but let's just be very honest. In this generation, they're going to be extremely exposed to overt sexuality. They're going to be exposed to stuff everywhere you go. You can't drive down the street without seeing a billboard. You can't turn on the TV without seeing a commercial or it being in a sitcom. It doesn't matter where we are. Overt, unbiblical, unholy sexuality is always in front of our kids. Materialism. They're going to be exposed to it everywhere. They're going to be exposed to a consumer culture where you need to buy, 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 get this, get this, get this, this backpack, these shoes, this outfit, this toy, this car, whatever it might be. Our kids are exposed to a massive materialism all around us. Unfortunately, our kids are probably going to be exposed to some prejudice. They're going to be exposed to some racism. They're going to be exposed to some people and some attitudes that, that hate somebody else simply because of who they are. All of our kids are exposed to a lot of negativity. And so we've got to be very intentional about doing everything we can to expose them to the right things. About doing everything we can to expose them to things that are going to, to draw them towards God. That are going to cause them to, to fall in love with Jesus. We can't just sit them down and say, you're going to be Christ-centered. You're going to be biblically anchored. But we can manage their exposure in such a way that we create environments and create experiences that give them the opportunity to fall in love with Jesus and to grow spiritually. It's so important. We cannot force it, but we can encourage it. So critical for us to do this, and I believe that we can. So let me give you three things today, three ways that we can manage exposure, three things that we can intentionally and consistently expose our kids to. And I believe if we do this, and we pray over them, and we believe God, and I believe that, that they're going to meet Jesus for themselves. Because here's what this is about, guys. This is about passing on first-generation faith. We don't want second-generation Christians in our family. We don't need second-generation Christians in our church, second-generation kids who grow up and don't really know God for themselves and who look and, and just see, well, that might work for them, but I've never tasted and seen that God is good. I've never experienced his presence. I've never gotten to know him for myself. That's not what we want. We want all of our people to have a first-generation faith. So here we go. Three things that we will regularly and intentionally do to expose the next generation. First is this. We're going to expose them to the joy of knowing God personally. We're going to expose our kids to the joy of knowing God personally. In other words, he can't just be your God. He has to be their God. We've got to expose them to the joy of knowing God 
personally. In John chapter 17, Jesus says this. He says, this is eternal life that they may know my father. What's eternal life? Relationship with God. How do you, how do you make it into the next the place we all want to go and miss the place we don't want to go. You know God. That's how it happens. That's eternal life is you have a relationship with God. We have got to pass this on. Here's the mistake we make so often in Christian homes. Again, let me jump back into the mode of a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to try to speak as a member of the older generation. I'm kind of straddling generations here, and I know maybe I'm younger than some of you, but, but, but allow me the, the privilege of speaking into some older people's lives this morning. Here's a mistake that we often make. We make being a Christian about following rules. Well, we don't drink because we're Christians. We don't use those words because we're Christians. We don't look at those things on the internet because we're Christians. We do this or we don't do this because we're Christians. And all we expose them to are rules, rules, rules. And if all you expose your kid is to is rules, they are not going to grow up and want anything to do with that life. They're not. You see, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. We can't simply put rules on our kids and say, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it, and you're going to listen, and you're going to do this. Now, I'm not saying not to have rules. Don't misunderstand me. I'm saying rules without relationship leads to rebellion. We've got to introduce them to a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Statistics tell us that that, that large amounts uh, of young people are, are leaving Christianity. They're leaving churches. They're walking away from the faith. The trends in America, now worldwide, it's the total opposite. Worldwide, Christianity is blowing up. It is exploding in Asia. It's exploding in Africa. Jesus is on the move. God is doing something. But in our culture in America, there's a large move away from God. Why? I'm convinced that a large part of it is they are not really rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting hypocrisy. They're growing up in homes where they see rules, 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 but mom and dad aren't really living up to those rules themselves because they don't really have a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And they say, I don't want any of that. And so they associate God with that. They associate church with that, and they say, I'd rather just go over here and be real and authentic and and let everybody know I'm jacked up than try to put on this, this Christian face. They're not rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting hypocrisy. We cannot continue to create homes where rules are our everything. We've got to introduce them to relationship with Jesus. How do we do this? Let me just give you a few practical suggestions, maybe some ways that, that we can begin to incorporate, uh, give them the opportunity to know the joy of knowing God. First one is very practical and very simple, and, and all of us can do this. Every time something good happens to you, to your kids, to your family, make the intentional statement, wow, look at how good God's been to us. Wow, look at how God has blessed us. Man, look at how God has blessed you with the bedroom. Look at how God has blessed you with school clothes. Look at how God has blessed you with the cat. Look how God has blessed you with this pet or whatever it might be. Take that opportunity to intentionally connect their blessing to the giver of life. You're teaching them that God is involved in it. Man, when, when your family goes through a rough time, somebody's been sick, there's been a surgery, there, God forbid there's been a death that happens. Man, look at how God has carried us through this season. Look at how God has not abandoned us in our pain. 
but he's been right there with us all the way through. Intentionally show the next generation that God is involved in their lives. If we want them to have a relationship with God, if we want them to know the joy of knowing God, then then there's got to be conversation. There's no relationship without conversation. There's no relationship without time spent. So we've got to teach them to pray. And, and when I say teach them to pray, one of the things that, uh, that Rachel uh, Cruz said last week on the video, if you guys were here, she said, more is caught than taught. And I think this is so true. So, yes, we're going to teach our kids to pray, but they're going to have to see us pray. They're going to have to hear us pray. Mom and dad. Not just mom's job, man, that all of us are intentionally leading our kids, showing them and demonstrating this is how it's done, that that there's a relationship. Uh, Here's what our goal should be, that our kids would know God through his word and experience him through the power of prayer. Let, Let me tell you just a little bit about what this looks like in our house, and we are just getting started. I told you we got two kids under two years old, so you may think it's too early to even worry about it. I disagree. I think now's the time to start building the foundation. They say that something like 80% of brain development happens before a kid's five years old. The, the vast majority, might even be higher than that, uh, happens before they're five years old. Now's the time to start building the foundation. So, so every day on a daily basis, we pray with our son Judah probably four or five times a day. We pray with him before every meal. In fact, we, he's so used to us praying at, before meals that, that now when we sit down to the table and he's in his high chair, he's bowing his head and reaching out for our hand. And we're in the middle of conversation, like we're not even to that point yet. And he's like, come on, we got to pray. He can't verbalize that yet, but he's so trained that this is what we do. This is how we honor God. We thank him for this food that he has given us. He's reaching out. Now, he used to, he used to time it. He knew when we say, in Jesus' name, next comes amen. And he say amen with us. Now, he's too cool for that, so we're working through that season. And we're going to get him to say amen again. But, but he wants to pray. He's excited to pray. Every night before we put him to bed, we pray for him. And, I, and we don't just pray, God, help him to sleep well, or God, protect him tonight. And we do pray those things. But, man, we're praying big prayers. God, make him a world changer. God, use him for your glory. God, show him from an early age the, the, the joy of knowing you. Help his, capture his heart. Lord, from an early age, God, protect him from my mistakes. Don't let my weaknesses and my junk infect him, God, but insulate him and protect him from that, that he would grow up to know you in a deep and a meaningful way. I'm praying that for my son all the time. We're praying that for our daughter all the time. Why? Because we're exposing them. One, we believe God answers prayer. But, but, but number two, we're ex- intentionally exposing them to a lifestyle of talking to God. We're looking for opportunities for them to hear us pray. Yesterday, uh, I took them in the, in the double stroller. I took them to the park so Melody could have some, some time where she didn't have a kid screaming at her or crying or have to just to deal with the kid. So I was gone for a couple hours to the park. And, and as we're going in the stroller, I'm, I'm praying over them. And I'm not just praying under my breath. I'm praying loud enough that they can hear me. I want them from an early age to know, like, Daddy's praying for us. Daddy's speaking life over us. Daddy's believing God to make us Christ-centered, world changers who are biblically grounded. Those are the things that we're confessing over our child. So look for those opportunities. Yesterday we got a phone call about Ariana. I was in the backyard when I got the phone call, and and I came inside, and and Melody was giving Judah a bath, the one that we referred to earlier. We won't talk about that anymore. Um, And this was actually just before the incident. Uh, And and I came in, and I told her what was going on. And and at this point, things were were still very much very scary. And uh, I said, "Can, can we pray? And so we grabbed hands, and right there with Judah in the bathtub, his little naked self, he's grabbing hands. 
and we're praying. So we're going to pray for your friend Ariana. And we prayed for her, that God would protect her. Why? Because we're the pastors and that's our job. No, because we're followers of Jesus. And that's our job. Because we have a God who we believe we can go before and that he actually answers our prayers. And we're teaching our kids that from a very, very early age. Let them hear you pray. Let them see you read the word. Intentionally engage them with these things as many times as you can. Man, every time you hear a siren, we're going to pray for that person. Every time something new shows up in the mail and you got a blessing, oh, man, praise God that somebody blessed us. Man, every time you, you get a chance to go out, just anything you get, look for those opportunities. How can we pray over this? Now, don't get me wrong. We're not doing hour-long prayer sessions. Like, don't put us on this, like, spiritual pedestal. Praying with Judah, you got, like, a 30 to 60-second window, right? And then his attention span is gone. But, but, but we're looking to engage that window every chance that we get. So the first way that we're going to manage exposure is we're going to expose the next generation to knowing God personally. The second way we're going to manage exposure is we're going to expose them to the presence and power of God in his church. We're going to expose our kids to the presence of God and the power of God in his church. I believe when you miss church, you miss a lot. And if, if you weren't here last week, we got to watch a, a short video clip with Dave Ramsey and Rachel Cruz, and we saw this illustration of a rope and how he gave a rope to his daughter. And I'm like, I'm stealing this. Like, that's awesome. That's genius. It's brilliant. If you missed that, you missed a lot, right? Like, if you weren't here this morning, uh, the, the people that are out today, they, they missed the presence of God in worship. When God doesn't just speak through the message, God speaks so much as we enter in and we praise him and we worship him. And I'm not saying to be legalistic about it. I'm not saying that but it's, we're going to make this this religious thing where I'm going to have 52 Sundays out of 52 because I'm the best Christian. I'm saying we're going to get our kids to church because we believe that God's presence shows up when God's people come together. That when two or more are gathered, that he's actually there. And we're going to expose them to his presence and to his power. We are committed to being in church in our family, not because we're pastors. We get a few Sundays off a year where we're traveling and we're visiting family or we're at the beach or whatever it might be, and it doesn't matter where we are, we go to church. And since we've been married, we've been to church in Arkansas, we've been to church in Tennessee, we've been to church in Alabama, we've been to church in Columbus, Mississippi, we've been to church in Forest City, North Carolina, we've been to church in Charlotte, North Carolina, we've been to church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Like, wherever we are, we are intentionally, like, we're scouting out on the Internet. Where are we going to go to church this weekend? Man, we're going to the beach down here. What church are we going to find? Why? Because not because we're pastors. It would be really easy to say we're pastors. We're off this weekend. We ain't got to worry about it. But we believe that God's presence is there when God's people gather. And we're going to be there. And, and our son has already been to church in like four different states. Our daughter's three months old. She's got one. She's still in Mississippi. That's the only place she's been to church at. But, but next month, she's going to go, or this month actually, we're in July now. She's going to make it to church in Pennsylvania for the first time. She's going to add another, church, another state. Why? Because we think that it matters. Because we want our kids as often and frequently as possible to be exposed to the presence and the power of God. Most places, most families, going to school isn't optional. Now, I've heard of some families where going to school is optional. If that's your family, that's probably a good thing to change. Going to school should be mandatory. It's, it's a good thing for us to do. Once your kid gets a job, that should be mandatory, right? For me, for us, we go to work. That's mandatory. It's not optional. If you got your kid, like, in dance, you're like, you're going to dance because you don't know how much money we're spending to have you in dance. You're going to be there every time the doors are open, Right? So, so we don't make those things optional, and yet so many families have this conversation with their kids. Well, you want to go to church today? 
it, it amazes me. I've had multiple people tell me, and if you, any of you are here today, I apologize. I don't even remember specifically who you are, but I know I've heard it, and every time I have, I freaked out. I've had people tell me, yeah, we decided to come to church today because the kids really wanted to be here. And I'm like, that's awesome that your kids wanted to be here. But seriously? Like, you're only going to church when your kid really wants to be there? Like, man, let's, let's teach them. Let's model for them. We're going to be to connect, connected to the body of Christ. We're going to be connected to the family of God. We're, we're not going to miss because of a ball game. We're not going to miss because the weather's nice. Oh, man, it's so nice. Let's just lay out. Oh, it's raining today. We'll catch the podcast, right? Like, people have these, these terrible excuses. And I'm not saying never to go on vacation. We go on vacation. I know Tim and Kim are at the lake right now. But what I love about Tim and Kim is every time they go to Pickwick, they come back and they tell me about the service at the Little Bitty Baptist Church right where they're at. Why? They're not leaving the church just because they're on vacation. They're committed to being in God's house. Back, back to our Psalms verse. It said that their children will be successful. Whose children? Not my children, not your children, their children, the family of God, our children. See, we were in this together. We get to love on each other's kids. There's somebody back there right now loving on Alexa. There's somebody back there right now loving on Judah. I cannot express how much it means to me to know that somebody's praying over my kid on Sunday morning. That somebody's watching out for my child on Sunday morning. It's awesome. And can I just tell you that Melody and myself, we love your kids. Thank you for loving our kids. This church loves your kids. We are serious about the next generation. Those of you who, who serve and are speaking into the lives of our children, we have an eternal debt. Thank you so much. That there's something special about getting to come together and worship with others. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had Camp 662, and two Wednesday nights ago, Pastor Bo had a, a Camp 662 highlight night and gave a bunch of students a chance to give their testimony from camp, and uh, he actually sent me a video uh, of one of these testimonies, a young man named Nick, and I want to read you some of what he said. This is a direct quote from Nick, and I, he said, Barrett asked if I wanted to go to church with him, so I came to City Church, and it clicked. I knew what they were talking about. Since then, I've been wanting to come to church, and I've never had that hunger and thirst to want to come to church before. Then four or four, five days before camp, Pastor Bo comes up, and he asked me if I'm going to camp, and I'm like, what camp? because Barrett didn't tell me anything, but I went, and during camp, we're in worship, and I'm like, yeah, I like the songs, but I never, like, sung to it, then during the worship concert, something clicked, and I just realized nobody would judge me, because we're all here for the same reason, and I could sing, it was fun, you could feel Jesus speaking to you, you sat there, and you talked to him, and you sang for him, it was just a breath of relief, what was that, it's a young man whose family doesn't go to church, who experienced the presence and the power of God when God's people came together. It makes a difference. And I brought a picture of him. I think we got that. Will you put that up for us, Carissa? This is Nick getting baptized at camp. Young man who never went to church before. He'd gone a couple times, never really got into it, didn't care about it. Had a friend who loved him enough to invite him. He went to camp and said something clicked. What was it that clicked? It was the presence of God invading his life. It was the chance for him to taste and see that God is good for the first time. And now Nick is not a person with a second-generation faith. He's got a first-generation faith. He's got a Savior for him. This is the importance of us coming together with God's people. We're going to expose them to the, power, the joy of knowing God personally, expose them to the power and presence of God in his church. And then number three, we're going to expose them to the thrill of being used by God. This one is my favorite. It's probably not the most important, 
them knowing God personally is most important. But this one's my favorite because this is the game changer. Because once you experience the thrill of being used by God, you're all in. Once you see that God can actually use you, you're never going back. Our kids will be exposed to the thrill of scoring a goal or making a tackle, right? Like hopefully if your kids are athletes, if they want to play sports, they'll, ex- they'll be exposed to those things. Hopefully all of us, our children will be exposed one day to the thrill of making an A on an exam. Praise Jesus. Our kids are going to have that thrill, right? They may be exposed to the thrill of going to their first prom. They may be exposed to the thrill of playing first chair flute in the the school band. They're going to be exposed to a lot of thrills. But most importantly, we must always expose them to the thrill of making a difference in somebody else's life. Nothing will ever compare to that. Nothing will mean so much to them. When I was In middle school, I had a a radical experience with God. I got to know God personally, really, for the first time. Uh, And and my family was in church, and I wanted to start bringing people to church. And and so by by some crazy way, God started using me. And I had about eight or nine friends who wanted to start coming to church with me, kids who, I mean, in Seattle, 3% of the population goes to church. It's a very unchurched, very ungodly part of the country. And all of a sudden, people just, hey, I want to be a part of this. And so my dad starts driving around West Seattle with his, with his pickup truck with a canopy on top of it, and we start loading eight, nine teenage boys in the back of this pickup truck. No seat belts, praise Jesus. Uh, and we got to church okay, and he took us every Wednesday night. Why? Because he wanted me to be exposed to the thrill of being used by God. And that was the most formative season of my life. That was a season that made the greatest impact on me of anything, was seeing my friends come to Jesus, seeing that God would actually use me to keep somebody from eternity in hell and introduce them to eternity with their maker. It was the greatest thrill I could ever have imagined. And we are so serious about this here at City Church, that that once a young person starts in sixth grade, we open up the opportunity for them to serve in any area. They can serve in Kid City. They can serve in First Impressions. They can serve in media. They can serve on our worship team. We had a 12-year-old play the Star Spangled Banner today. What's up? Praise God. Why? He got the thrill of using his gift, of using what he's good at, of seeing God use his life to encourage and impact somebody else. All the time when I'm talking to other pastors or, or, or somebody maybe from out of town visits or somebody who used to go to church here six, eight years ago, maybe they come back. I hear the same statement, probably more than any other statement about our church. People will ask me this one question. How do you have so many young adults involved at City Church? People are just amazed. They're, like, they're looking in the media booth and it's young adults and they're looking on stage and it's young adults and they're checking in in Kid City and, it's young, and they're just like, how do you have so many young adults involved at City Church? And, and there's many factors and all glory goes to God and I can go into a lot of things. But if I could sum it up with one statement, it's this. We don't wait until they're young adults to let them get involved. Why do we have so many young adults involved at City Church? Because they started before they were young adults. We didn't say, hey, man, when you get 18, you can get involved. You can become a part of the church. See, we reject this statement that young people are the church of tomorrow. We believe that young people are the church of today, just like us. And we're going to expose them just as soon as possible to the thrill of being used by God. And we have an army of young people who are not even young adults yet, who God's using in an incredible way. One of them back there watching my kid right now. Praise Jesus. We got uh, so many young people who aren't even young adults who God's using. I'm going to tell you just one story uh, about one of them, and that's... Barrett, Barrett Holly, told you the story about Nick, right? His friend who 
came to camp and came to Jesus and gave his life to Jesus and got baptized. Well, Barrett was the one that God used. And as incredible as camp was for Nick, I think it might have made an even deeper impression on Barrett. I seeing his friend raise his hands and worship. Man, Barrett came out of camp a different, different person. Why? Because camp was so great. Camp was pretty awesome. Because he saw what happens when you're used by God. It's a game changer. It's a game changer. And what's so cool about that is Barrett comes from a family that's being used by God to reach people all the time. Some of you are here this morning because Grant and Marie invited you to church one day. That's why you came. So, so he's been raised and he's been exposed to a family that's being used by God to impact other lives. And now he's being used by God to impact another life. And he's never going to be the same. I'm not saying he's always going to be perfect. I'm not saying he's never going to fall. Man, he's, he's human. And I don't even know what just happened, but that's all good. Let's delete that out of the podcast. Jesus' name. Uh, but God's going to use him. He's been exposed to the thrill of being used by God. I could tell you so many stories of kids making a difference, but we don't have time. So I'm just going to sum it up with this. Joshua 24, 15 says very famously, it says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve. What an awesome declaration. What an incredible statement for us to make that our young people, our kids, we are going to serve the Lord. We're going to expose them to the joy of knowing God personally. We're going to expose them to the power and the presence of God in his church. And we're going to expose them to the thrill of being used by God. And I believe if we can expose them consistently and intentionally to those three things, they're going to serve God with their lives. I believe it with all my heart. What I'm spanking the, the, the future, the eternity of my kids on is those three, those three things are going to make all the difference for Judah and Alexa. And I believe they'll make the difference for your kids as well. Let's pray.